Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Tonight, we're going to continue in our study through the book of Proverbs, Instructions for Godly Living, right? As we've been studying through these uh, nuggets of wisdom over the last several months, we should be, we should have a greater understanding of how God wants us to walk in this world. Because the Proverbs hits upon just about every single thing that we're going to go through, every single circumstance, every single relationship that we are going to encounter in this life is in the book of Proverbs with instructions, with wisdom, with guidance, with godly discernment. And so it's really our guidebook to life and how thankful we should be to God that he put this book of wisdom in the Bible that we would know, that we wouldn't have to guess, that we would know what pleases him, what displeases him, what's, how we relate to other, to other people, what's good, what's, what's, what's bad. And so he really breaks it down. And uh, the next group or the next portion in, in the book of Proverbs is going to be really groups of verses that are kind of individual thoughts or individual nuggets of wisdom. So really reading through the Proverbs in and of themselves is going is to be great gain to us. And um, many people, and I've done, it, I've done it over the years, read through a proverb a day each month. You get through the Proverbs, you start over again. It kind of gives you that instruction. There's 31 Proverbs. So you go through each day. Today is the 23rd. You read, the, you read Proverbs chapter 23. And so it really does give us day-to-day walking and how God um, wants us to live in this, in this world. We can gain much insight by just reading through the Proverbs. So these next few uh, chapters... Really, you're going to see, you're not going to see too much of a connection between one verse or two verses and the ones before. They're kind of individual little, it's kinda, it kind of shoots it out at you. Here's a proverb for this. Here's a proverb for relationships. Here's a, here's a nugget of wisdom uh, for, uh, for working life. Here's a nugget of wisdom for, you know, your relationship with the Lord. And so you're going to see all of these things kind of come out at us. So there's no, no real connection between one and the other. No real connection between uh, the previous proverb and the one after it. So um, we're, we're just going to go through it. Um, I'm going to give cross-references. I'm going to give practical application. Um, but for the most part, we're just going to read through and we're going to see how the Lord blesses us as we just uh, go through these proverbs. So beginning in Proverbs 11, verse 1. Proverbs 11, verse 1. 
It says, dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. So here we see this first nugget of wisdom here. God is looking for people, his people, to be trustworthy in their business dealings. And, you know, scales were used back then. They're still used today um, to weigh and measure just about everything that was bought and sold. Many things still today are bought and sold by weight. And so the balance scales of that time were used you know, to, to weigh out things in the marketplace so people knew they were getting a fair amount of what they were paying for. You know? But they could be easily rigged. You know? They could be easily uh, you know, tampered with. And even today, you know, there's, there's, a, there's government agencies that, that cover scales and measures to make sure that like when you go into the supermarket and you buy a pound of bologna, that it's really a pound of bologna. And not, it's not bologna. <laughs> that it's really what it's supposed to be. So, you know, why do we have to have a government agency to cover those kinds of things? Except for the fact that people would try to be dishonest, would try to cheat people. A dishonest business person uh, to the Lord is, is an abomination. You know, so, you know, if you're in business, if you're doing business, uh, you know, in selling things or in the marketplace, be honest with people. That's what God wants. You know, I've even heard stories of, of gyms. I don't know if you've heard this, where they kind of rig their scales at the gyms so that if you go in on a, let's say you go in on a, um, a Monday and you're way h- higher than you're supposed to be then you'll say, oh my goodness, I need to be working out. So you go to the gym, and, y- and then by the time Friday comes, they may lower the scales, and you'll say, oh boy, the working out really has helped, and you'll continue your gym membership. I've heard this. I've heard that gyms were actually sued over, the, over their scales because they were making people th- go back and forth, back and forth with their weights. So it's done, <laughs> it's done in all different walks of life. It's done in all different businesses. So the writer of this proverb is telling us that God is looking for honesty. He's looking for fairness in business dealings and that cheating is, uh, is uh, something that displeases him. And he delights in trustworthiness. Continuing on in verses 2 and 3, when pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble is wisdom. The integrity of the upright will guide them, but the perversity of the unfaithful will destroy them. So speaking here about a true relationship with the Lord can only happen when we're humble. He wants our humility. He wants us to give Him the honor that He is due. It says in Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen, For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. Now think about that description of God. You know, that's, that's not us. That's God, the high and lofty one whose name is holy. He says, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and a humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. So that's who God dwells with. That's who God wants to fellowship with, the humble and the contrite. And even in in another proverb we read in Proverbs uh, 3, 34 and 35, it says, Surely he scorns the scornful, 
but he gives grace to the humble. The wise shall inherit the glory, but the shame, but shame shall be the legacy of fools. So he gives grace to the humble. He doesn't consider the person who thinks he's better than everybody else. And he guides and directs. He guides and directs us if we humble ourselves. But he'll, he'll allow the, the proud to be destroyed by their, by their own doings. Eventually, the proud person will be brought down by his own stubbornness because he's so proud. He'll never go to the Lord. He'll never, he'll never admit that he needs the Lord's help. And that's what humility as a believer means, that we, we don't have all the answers, that we can't do it all ourselves, and that we need to depend on God. Continuing on in verse 4, riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. The righteousness of the blameless will direct his way aright, but the wicked will fall by his own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright will deliver them, but the unfaithful will be caught by their lust. And we see here the contrast that we see many times in the, in the Proverbs. Riches with the love of the righteous for the things of God. You know, the, the contrast of giving all of our attention to our own success and the desires of our flesh as opposed to giving our attention to the things of God. And the fact that that won't bring happiness. If we focus on God, He'll direct our ways, it says there. And He'll direct us into an abundant life because He wants the best for us. So, again, the, the, the contrast there between focusing on the things of the world and focusing on the things of God. It says in Mark 8.36, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet loses his own soul? You know, just... You know, the, the things of the world, material things, and uh, all of the things that are other than the godly things or the spiritual things won't get us into heaven. We can't buy our way into heaven. But the righteousness of God through faith in Christ will save us from God's judgment. So we just see here that, you know, uh, he, a man may gain all of the material things in this world, but if he doesn't have a relationship with God, he'll lose his own soul. Verse 7, when a wicked man dies, his expectation will perish, and the hope of the unjust perishes. All hope perishes when an unbeliever dies. There's no more chance to come to faith in Christ after death. You see, now we don't, we don't sorrow, the Bible says, as those who have no hope, those who know Christ. But it says in Hebrews 9.27, and it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. As a wicked man dies, it says there, his expectation will perish. That's it. He's done. The righteous is delivered from trouble, verse 8, and he, and he comes to the wicked instead. So, God has his hand upon us as his, as his uh, sons and daughters, as his children. He has his hand upon us for those who trust in him, for those who believe in him. God delivers those who trust in him. But the wicked person will experience suffering. Now, you may think to yourself, listen, I'm suffering and I'm a, and I'm a believer. Or the wicked, I don't see them suffering. 
but remember that we, we only see here in this life. We don't see into eternity. But if we think in on an eternal basis, the wicked person will experience suffering. If not here in this life, certainly in eternity uh, separated from, from God. The next few verses speak of the effect of God's people on others, on society. You know, I think about, you know, I think about all of the evil things that we see going on in this world. And, you know, we pray for, for God's people to intervene, for God's people to maybe be in the path of somebody who's considering evil or wicked things so that, that they may have an influence on them. Because isn't that what our testimony should be to others? That, that we worship a loving God that we want them to know that God that we serve and that He will bring them everything that they desire, the peace that they're looking for. He will love them with a, an unconditional love, with an everlasting love, the Bible says, that they're looking for. Isn't that really what, as believers, we're supposed to be bringing to society? And we do it one person at a time. We do it with those individual relationships. So these next few verses speak of the effect that we can have on others. Living out our faith, walking in righteousness, and the fact that that will make society better. One person at a time, one relationship at a time says the hypocrite with his mouth destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge the righteous will be delivered. How we talk to people has an effect on people. There, our tongue can destroy. There's power in our words. And we must learn to control our tongue or else it can ruin people. It can ruin people's reputation. Think about what gossip can do to people. And how that destroys. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. See the effect that we have on the entire, uh, on all of society. And when the wicked perish, there is jubilation. There should be. You know, again, there's so much in the news lately. You know, I think about when, you know, a terrorist commits an act of terrorism and how we hear sometimes about some of the some of the countries or some of the areas that support that, how they rejoice when a terrorist does his evil deeds. But this is what it's supposed to be in verse 10. When it, when all goes, when it goes well with the righteous, then the city should rejoice. And when the wicked perish, then there should be jubilation. But unfortunately in this world, it seems like everything's upside down. By the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted, but it is overthrown by the mouth of the wicked. All of society benefits when godly people do well. And we pray for godly people to get into political office, don't we? We pray for them to rule righteously and to serve their constituents because we know it will be good for the culture. Verse 12 and 13, He who is devoid of wisdom despises his neighbor, Continuing to see God's instruction 
as we relate to one another. But a man of understanding holds his peace. A talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is of, of a faithful spirit conceals a matter. If you don't have godly wisdom, you'll speak all that is on your mind, even if it hurts someone else. Even if it hurts someone else. It says there, but a man of understanding holds his peace. A wise person will keep certain things to himself if it only is going to cause harm. You know, it's that old saying that your mom probably told you, if you have nothing good to say, then don't say anything at all. It's probably from the Proverbs. A talebearer reveals secrets, somebody who gossips. But he who is of of a faithful spirit conceals a matter. Is it going to hurt? Is it going to build up? Is it going to tear someone down? Or is it going to be a blessing to them? Those are the things we need to consider before we, before we speak. Where there is no counsel, the people fail. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. So here um, we see that, you know, we have to sometimes admit that we don't have the answers. Sometimes that, you know, we even, you know, in prayer, we're not getting clarity on something. And to go to another a godly person and to seek counsel from them. You know, and that's a good thing. It's wise to seek out counsel when there's a matter that you need help with. I caution here, it says in the multitude of counselors there is safety. Well, in the multitude of counselors there could be also confusion. So we have to be careful here that we don't, what we call sometimes counsel shop until we get the answer that we're really looking for. And I think what happens is some people, they have an idea of how they want to um, deal with a certain situation, and um, they just really want confirmation that their idea is right. They don't really, they're not seeking counsel necessarily. Not all good counselors will just agree with you. If they're worthwhile, sometimes they'll challenge you to see things a different way than what you think is best. So be careful not to seek out too many counselors because it could bring confusion to the matter instead of clarity to the matter. He who is surety for a stranger will suffer, but one who hates being surety is secure. So um, we speak about this. This is regard to um, wisdom with money and sort of co-signing on a loan or putting money up for someone else. And it says here, who who is surety for a stranger will suffer. I mean, if you don't imagine if you don't know the person and they come to you and they say, listen, can you co-sign on this loan for me? And you say, yeah, sure. Well, you know, that's not really wise. That's not really using, uh, you know, godly wisdom. So co-signing on a loan for someone or putting money up for someone is not necessarily a good thing, especially if you don't know them very well. So, but if you make it a rule, you know, that you're not going to co-sign on a loan, you're not going to put money up for someone, you'll, you'll have more financial security, the, the, verses, the verse says there. Uh, the following verses from verses 16 through 21, it speak of, speaks of the contrast between between the gracious and the ruthless, the merciful and the cruel, the wicked and the righteous. 
the evil and the blameless. So we're going to read through them and we're just going to um, we're just going to maybe highlight a couple of things here. A gracious woman woman retains honor, but ruthless men retain riches. The contrast here of honor versus riches. You know, uh, really a good reputation versus material wealth. The merciful man does good, does good for his own soul, but he who is cruel troubles his own flesh. The wicked man does deceptive work, but he who sows righteousness will have a sure reward. So God is pleased, well pleased with the righteous. With if, if you walk in his ways, he's well pleased with that. A, as, a, as righteousness leads to life, so he who pursues evil pursues it to his own death. Those who are, who are of a perverse, perverse heart are an abomination to the Lord, but the blameless in their ways are his delight. Though they join forces, the wicked will, go, will not go unpunished, but the posterity of the righteous will be delivered. The one who seeks his own, you know, a lot of times they sort of, they find one another, uh, thinking that ganging together they'll be able to achieve more. But it says here, Though they join forces in verse 21, the wicked will not go unpunished. You know, God will ultimately, you know, be the judge. And he honors those who serve others. Uh, verse 22, as a, as a ring of gold in a swine's snout, so is a lovely woman who lacks discretion. Should, do I need to say anything here? <laughs> Hopefully I won't get in trouble. So this is talking about um, this is talking about something that's out of place, something that's uh, that doesn't go with with the person that you're you're seeing. It's like you know a piece of jewelry in a pig's nose. It's just out of place. It doesn't it doesn't belong. But a beautiful woman, you know, with with outward physical beauty, who lacks discretion. That's also out of place. That's also out of place. Discretion here can be described as prudence and forethought. You know, someone who thinks through something before they do it, you know, and is prudent about it. It can also mean quiet and self-controlled. So these are good qualities for a person, you know, but think about it. Your physical beauty can sometimes be overshadowed by a bad attitude or a bad personality, you know? So it's just speaking here of something that's just out of place. They d the two don't go together. Speaking of a virtuous woman, in uh, First Peter, he writes, Rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of of God. So speaking here of the contrast of, you know, elaborate outward appearance, that's really not what God's looking for. He's looking for a gentle and quiet spirit, the hidden person of the heart. What's in your heart? And not just women, men too. What's in your heart? You know, man looks at the outward, the Bible says, but God looks at the heart. That's really the most important thing. And that's true beauty when you see the inward person. The desire of the righteous is only good, but the expectation of the wicked is wrath. Comparing here the righteous with the wicked. There is one who scatters, 
yet increases more. And there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. The people will curse him who withholds grain, but blessing will be on the head of him who sells it. So we're talking here about a generous spirit, someone who is just generous. The Apostle Paul reinforces this spiritual truth that the one who is generous will receive blessings from God, and those blessings can be both materially and spiritually. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6, Paul writes, but, I, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. You know, think about you know, a farmer who sows his seeds in the field, and yet he's, he kind of holds back the seeds, not wanting to waste it. Well, you know, the, the more he sows, the more abundant that crop will be. You know, the harvest will be more abundant. But the farmer who holds on to the seed, thinking he's going to, you know, he's going to hang on to it, he's not going to waste it, he'll, ho- he'll have only a meager crop. And there's great blessings that come along with giving and serving others. And that's what that means. That means just, so, just giving of yourselves to others. And God will bless that. He who earnestly seeks good, f- good finds favor, but trouble will come to him who seeks evil. He who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like foliage. He who troubles his own house will inherit the wind, and the fool will be the servant to the wise of heart. So consequences of our actions here, you know, as a rule, good actions result in favorable outcomes where evil actions bring forth negative consequences. So we see that rule played out many times in the book of Proverbs. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise If the righteous will be recompensed on the earth, how much more the ungodly and the sinner. So we see here that winning souls is uh, is something that the Lord wants us to do. You know, I have a I have a book and uh, it's words to winners of souls. It's it's a very interesting book. It's a it's a great book for evangelism and for just building us up in going out and speaking to the world about Christ. One sentence in the book says our power in drawing men to Christ springs chiefly from the fullness of our joy in Him and the nearness of our personal communion with Him. So if we want to draw people to Christ, we have to show the joy of the Lord and we also have to remain close to the Lord so they can see our relationship with God. You know, people will listen to you about Jesus if they think you really know who Jesus is. Otherwise, they won't listen to you. If they see a personal walk that corresponds to what you say, people will listen. So that's, and, and, and look, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation, it says in 2 Corinthians. And that ministry of reconciliation is to be soul winners, is to go out into this world and to bring others to a relationship with Christ. So... Good, uh, good wisdom in that proverb. Okay, we're going to move on to chapter 12. Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, 
but he who hates correction is stupid. Now, I know, your mother told you not to use the word stupid, right? <laughs> so I looked at almost every other translation to try to find a translation that did not say stupid. And the only one that doesn't is the King James. So I'm going to take it as face value. He who loves instructions loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. So contrasting here wisdom and foolishness. You know, instruction, correction, you know, not most people don't like it. Most people don't like to be told, you know, they're doing something wrong or they need to be corrected or, you know, or, you know, given instruction by others. But there's great value in that. And there's a place for it. There's a place for it in our Christian relationships. You know, when we see a brother or a sister, you know, in l and, and in love, we, we want to either correct or instruct. And, you know, it has to do with the motive of your heart. And it also has to do with how you present it. But it should be well-received. And I think that's, there's great value in the giving and in the receiving of gracious instruction in the things of God. A good man obtains favor from the Lord, but a man of wicked intentions he will condemn. A man is not established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous cannot be moved. So righteous living here rewarded by God. And, and in so doing, we will become stable in our, in our life if we follow God's ways. It says here, we will be rooted. You know, the wicked are not established. The wicked go to and fro. There's no stability in their life. But the, the righteous following God's ways that will always be stable. It says in Colossians 2, Therefore, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So this is how we this is how we go our day day to day. Walk in Christ, rooted and built up in him. So here we put our foundation in the things of God, in the in the teachings of Jesus Christ. We're rooted we're made stable, we're solid in him, we're built up in him, and then we're established in the faith. So all of these things are because we put our faith in, in, in Christ and because we walk in his ways. So he, he, Paul goes on, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. So we should be thankful that we have God's instructions, that we have you know, the, the Bible that we can go and we can see Christ's life lived out and we can see how you know like the sermon on the mount so much instruction in there so much great instruction and we can go and we can follow god's ways and then we can be we can be uh, blessed because of it an excellent wife is the crown of her husband but she who causes shame is like rottenness in his bones how excellent it is when, when we have a wife who acts in a way which brings honor upon her, uh, her and her husband and her family. It establishes a trusting home environment. You know, and as husbands, we, we should be proud of our wives when they do that and, and that she's a blessing to the family. It says in Proverbs 31, which is um, God's description of a virtuous wife, says in verse 10, who can find a virtuous wife? 
for her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. So we see this, um, this beautiful picture, you know, of the, of the marital relationship. Um, verses 5 through uh, 8, the thoughts of the righteous are right, but the counsels of the wicked are deceitful. It kind of makes sense. The words of the wicked are lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright will deliver them. The wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous will stand. A man will be commended according to his wisdom, but he who is a, of a perverse heart will be despised. So again, we, we see reiterated the contrast between the righteous and the wicked, and the wicked bring ruin and destruction upon people, while the righteous, you know, as believers in Christ, as Christians, we should be bringing life and we should be bringing freedom to people. And uh, that's the contrast that we see. Better is the one who, ha who is slighted but has a servant than he who honors himself but lacks bread. Now this one I had to do a little bit of research on. It, was, it wasn't quite clear. Better is the one who is slighted but has a servant. Um, speaks of someone here who's lightly esteemed um, in the world's eyes. You know, if you're slighted, you're you kind of you're not given you're not given much uh, consideration in the world. Maybe he's not a showy person in the way he dresses, or you know, his on in his choice of cars, or or things like that. But maybe he's but he is wise enough, and this is interesting. He may be despised by the world, but he's wise enough that he will he will provide for his household. And even have a little extra that he can have a frill like a servant that can serve him. As opposed to someone who just honors himself. And you know someone who's so preoccupied with his own luxuries that he, he doesn't even provide the necessities for his home. You know it doesn't even have bread for his home. He's chasing after the luxuries of the world. He forgets about the, just the everyday necessities. And so a very interesting proverb. So, you know, being um, despised by the world or, or, or lightly esteemed maybe by the world is not such a bad thing as long as you're doing everything else that's right for your home and your family. Um, a lot of you will like this next one. Uh, verse 10, a righteous man regards the life of his animal, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. So a lot of animal lovers here, I know, and um, the Bible tells us that we should care for our pets, you know, care for our animals. And, you know, whether this is talking about, you know, a, uh, you know, you know work, work animals maybe around a farm in that day in an agricultural society or a pet in your home, you know, regard the life of your animal. And so uh, you can tell a lot about a person, I think, by the way they treat animals. You know, it's been pretty, pretty good research over the last um, many decades has reported that, you know, childhood cruelty to animals is kind of a warning sign of later delinquency, violence, or criminal behavior. So, you know, we see that connection there, and God's wisdom tells us, 
the following verses, 11 through 16, speak of the contrast between uh, the lazy and the diligent, the evil and the righteous, the wise and the foolish. So, foolish. so we'll, we'll uh, read through it. He who tills his land will be satisfied with bread, but he who follows frivolity is devoid of understanding. So the lazy versus the diligent or the one who knows the, the job that needs to be done and he does it and the one who's sort of chasing after, you know, uh, worthless things in, in the world and doesn't do the, what he needs to do to provide for his own uh, livelihood. The wicked covet the catch of evil men, but the root of the righteous yields fruit. The wicked is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous will come through trouble. So we see here the, the contrast between the wicked and the righteous. And many times the wicked kind of get caught up in their own deception, you know, in their own, in their own evil doings, you know, where if you're righteous, if you live a, a godly life, you'll, you'll come through those things and uh, you won't be affected by it. A man will be satisfied with good by the fruit of his mouth. And the recompense of a man's hands will be rendered to him. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. So, you know, we never see ourselves um, accurately. Sometimes it takes another person to go to and, and to, to ask them, you know, tell me, tell me truthfully here if there's something that I need to, to do, I need to change, you know, I can't, I can't see myself in an accurate way. So he's, uh, he's good in his own eyes, a fool, but um, it's better to seek counsel and to listen to the instructions of others. And uh, a lot of times, hopefully, they'll have your best interest at heart. A fool's wrath is known at once, but a prudent man covers shame. So a lot of times, you'll know, you know a fool pretty quickly. He won't, it won't be hard to figure out when someone's being unwise because they'll either do something uh, foolish or they'll say something foolish and it'll, it'll immediately be known. Uh, the next few verses here speak of the power of words, the power of words, which can be very powerful. And of course, they can be used for either good or for evil. He who speaks truth declares righteousness but a false witness deceit. There is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. You know how many times we've been maybe cut with the words of others, you know, and, uh, you know, they can have sometimes a dev devastating effect on us. But, but the words of a wise person, the words of a godly person can bring comfort. They can bring a blessing. And it's our choice. It's our choice to decide whether to build someone up or to tear them down. It says in Ephesians 4.29, I love this verse, it says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that's the building up of others, that it may impart grace to the hearers? Are we edifying one another? Are we building one another up, up? Are we imparting grace to one another with the words that we use? Or are we cutting one another with our words? Something to really think about. The truthful lip 
shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Truth will always endure, but a lie will soon go away. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but the counselors of peace have joy. You know, those who tend toward evil will never have true joy. Never. You know, again, you, th- you think about those who, who perform these evil deeds, you know, may, thinking they're going to receive some blessing from it or, or they're going to achieve some type of happiness or, or ultimate joy. They will never have true joy. They'll, they'll always be looking to destroy someone. But a peace-loving person will know true happiness. It says in Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. There are blessings. There are godly blessings that come along with promoting peace. God will reward that kind of person. No grave trouble will overtake the righteous, but the wicked shall be filled with evil. So evil person has trouble following him around all of his days. And, you know, as believers, we go through trials, we go through difficulties, but it won't overtake us. That's the difference. It won't overtake us. And ultimately, we won't suffer eternal wrath like the, like the evil person, the wicked will. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are his delight. A prudent man conceals knowledge but the heart of fools proclaims foolishness. So speaks of a careful person, a careful person, a prudent person who holds their tongue instead of saying everything that's on their minds. Now, I know this quote. I've heard it before. I, I, I didn't realize that it's been attributed to Abraham Lincoln. And I, the research I did kept bringing me back to that. But... It says, better to remain silent and be thought of of a fool than to speak out and remove all doubt. And so this is what this is saying. The hearts of fools proclaim foolishness. They just, they just proclaim it and you know it. And so sometimes it's better to just remain silent, you know, and, and, you know, and, and allow your, maybe your actions to just uh, show the real, your real heart. The hand of the diligent will rule, but the lazy man will be put to forced labor. Contrasting here, the diligent and the lazy. Anxiety in the heart of the man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. So we see here our thoughtful words many times can bring comfort to someone who's depressed. You know, a good word makes it glad. Consider if you know someone who's going through you know, depression or, or anxiety that, that your words may bring comfort to them and ask the Lord to, you know, give you the words to say. The righteous should choose his friends carefully for the way of the wicked leads them astray. So unfortunately, I, I, I've seen a lot more where a good person is influenced by an evil person instead of the other way around. And unfortunately, that we see that a lot. So it's important for us that we choose our friends wisely, that we choose those who are close to us wisely. It says in 1 Corinthians 15.33, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. You know, we've heard that quote before. So we see here that, you know, 
you know, you could be influenced by, you know, ungodly people, but we should we should choose our friends carefully, and we should also try to be an influence on them instead. Um, the lazy man does not roast what he took in hunting, but diligence is a man's precious possession. So uh, the writer here is kind of all over the place. So the verse here, kind of difficult to, you know, exposit. Um, at face value, it says here, the lazy man does not roast what he took in hunting. It's almost saying here he, he shot something, it was good for food, and he just let it rot instead of taking the time, being diligent and, you know, and uh, slaughtering it and using it for food. So he just let it go to waste. You know, that's just sheer laziness. You know, another way to look at it, which I've, which I've heard, is that the Bible is promoting here um, hunting for food only, not just for sport, you know, not just to shoot and just to leave it. And again, it goes along with the previous verse about, you know, caring for our animals. So a couple of different ways to, uh, to look at that verse. In the way of righteousness is life, and in its pathway there is no death. So we end here on a high note. You know, all of these proverbs, all of these little nuggets of wisdom should give us, you know, encouragement because they, they really do guide us through our days. But here we end on a great encouragement to those who maybe have experienced the death of a loved one or are wondering about their own eternal destiny. See, for, for believers, we look at death in a different way than an unbeliever does. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 1, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So we look at death differently than the world does. We don't really die. We kind of just move from this temporary dwelling place to that permanent place built by God. And there's comfort there. There certainly is encouragement there. You know, the way of the righteous is life. And in its path, pathway, there is no death. There's comfort in these verses. And there's comfort as we close here in John 11 in what Jesus said when, when Lazarus had died and uh, his sisters were questioning Jesus. And, and Jesus encourages them and says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. So we see it going along here with verse 28 in this proverb. And in its pathway, there is no death. For the believer, we, we just move. You know, and it's a blessing. We're with the Lord, and we can rejoice in that, in that truth. So uh, let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. 
On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.